Yeah, what are we talking about today? <laughs> That's a good <coughs> question. Um, question? Tell me what you think about uh, this. Wait, you can't just stop. <laughs> <laughs> I need that. Give it back. Literally give it back. Boop is a madman. Put that thing back where it came from, so help me. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> It's name, a bad man, help us, save us. Name the unnameable <laughs> That whole, I haven't watched Fried Kids in so long. But I, I know, think but I, I need feel like to. it is not going to hold up at all. I think we should have like a, like a zoo, we should have, uh, do a Zoom watching. I think that'll make it hilarious. Of Spy Kids? Yes. <laughs> Wait, so which one was Floop? Was that Spy Kids or Spy Kids 2? I think it might have been 2. So what's the original Spy Kids? They, like, discover that their parents are spies. But, like, who's the villain? And Because Floop is a Madman is also, like, the combination animals, and it's the thumbs. The thumbs! But that's all Spy Kids, too. What's that the is, first Spy Kids? Um, yeah, I don't... Well, we're gonna have to watch it. Okay. <laughs> Famously, Spy Kids 3D, game over. Who could forget? Ooh. Isn't Megan Trainer married to What's-His-Face? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember his name, but they're married. Junie Cortez. Yes. Uh, what's his name? I have no idea. I don't know that he's really famous. <laughs> Not really famous. Welcome back to We Love That. I'm Jerome. And I'm Kenyon. And this week we are going beyond visibility, okay? Looking at decolonizing care, looking at our queer elders. And what do we do once we've been represented? And who is even represented in the first place? Find out today. Beautiful music, beautiful music. Beautiful gowns, beautiful gowns. Good songwriter, good producer. <laughs> Sissy's baby. <laughs> Tag yourself. <laughs> Who are you? I think I'm I think I'm good songwriter. Okay, I think I'm Sissy's baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, she um uh, now she had a gift. That's me. <laughs> I'm the gift. Now she the gift that keeps on giving. Gift. Okay, work. You better give. Um, is any of this intelligible to uh, anyone? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but hi, hi, hi. Hey, today's a singing every day. time. Today is the singing day. Every time we gear up to do the podcast, I'm always like, you know, well, not always, but sometimes I check my level <laughs> and sometimes you're rolling your eyes. <laughs> um, sometimes I check my level and I'm like, I like do something really loud and I'm like, I'm never going to be that loud. And then I always like immediately am that loud. <laughs> it's, you know, it just comes with the territory. Correct. 
And we all love it anyway. Be loud. Thank you. Be you. Speaking of being loud, we were talking about Proud Family work. Oh, oh. And the Proud Family reunion. Yeah, you're being taken away. <laughs> Which, the not the reunion, the reboot is yeah. called the Proud Family Louder and Prouder. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait, actually. That is a million-dollar title. I'll say that. It's Okay, also, then get this. I was looking into it, okay? <laughs> so there's a new little family on the block. Oh. Uh, and... It's this new, like, cool girl who's, like, woke, who's hashtag woke. Stay tuned for our episode Episode on on the word woke. Um, And her two gay dads. Okay, now get this. The dads are voiced by Billy Porter and Zachary Quinto. What? (laughs) And the daughter is voiced by Kiki Palmer. (laughs) That is incredible. This is... this is what I came for. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, they, I mean, they know their audience. It's everybody who used oh, to yeah. watch Proud Family growing up and now still wants to watch it. Exactly. Now that it's 10 years later. And I think all of the rest of the cast is returning. <laughs> <laughs> to which I say, first of all, thank you. Thank you yes. for contributing. But also, I guess you really weren't booked. But don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it's like everybody's returning. Everybody. Everybody's returning. Even Cedric the Entertainer as Uncle Bobby. Okay? (laughs) Everyone is returning. Oh, my gosh. The thing, okay, but are Destiny's Child and Solange returning to give us a new theme song? I don't know, but in the little preview that I was watching, they were using, like, cuts of the extended version of the original theme. Um, And the girls are singing for their lives, which is amazing. Um, So maybe they'll just use a different part of the song. I'll take it. I'll take a remix. I'll take it. I'll take anything, please. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I want it. Well, you know, Beyonce's a Disney girl. So... uh, it could happen. It could happen. <laughs> wow. Um, how you doing, kid? You know, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good on this day. Um, I'm feeling louder, and I'm feeling prouder. Oh, very good. It's Pride Month. Truly. Speaking of feeling good, um, feel good. Okay, feel good. So last time, maybe last week, maybe the week before, we were saying that everyone should watch Feel Good. If you have not watched Feel Good, well, Kenny and I both watched it without <laughs> telling each other afterward. We watched the second season. Um, so I guess spoilers for Feel Good if you haven't watched it. <laughs> but maybe this won't be that spoilery. But what did you think? We thought different things about it. We did, we did. I mean, I... I thought it was good. I really, as the, the I really liked it. Um, it does that thing that few series do for me, at least, where it's like, oh, you're still telling the story. This is not a rehash of the the first season that was really good. Yeah. It like, yeah. there actually was more story to tell, and you're telling it. It's not a sequel. It's not a re redo reboot. Like let's oh let's recreate. Um, yeah, which like both makes it the second season feel interesting and also just makes the first season stand out more too because it's like like that 
you were you were doing what you were trying to do do there, and now you're doing a an extension of that. Yeah, that you're like sense? continuing the story. Yeah, it's not like okay, we're gonna run back the same formula and yeah, like like the this is only kind of a spoiler that May and. What's the other girl's name? George. George. May. It's like the first season is like a will they, won't they kind of thing. Not exactly, but it's like they're seeing each other and like, right. is it going to work out? Are they going to stick together? Whatever. And the second season isn't like, oh no, like, will they continue to stick together? <laughs> like it, it goes and does different things, which I think is, I agree. I think that's great. Um, and it is about like, yeah, it just continues to, like, tell the story of this character, which I think is great. I love Mae Martin. Uh, I think they're great. And so I appreciated that part of it. I thought that the first season was, like, fleabag level of, like, excellent television. Yeah. <laughs> and so the second season, I liked what it had to say, but it was not, like... It was not the same caliber of, like, excellent TV as I thought the, the first season was. Mm. Emotionally, how did you, how did, it, did you navigate? Because it kind of takes us to some big themes. It does, but I felt like, well, that's what I, I felt like every emotional moment, I just, maybe it just was me. I felt like I was just reading the, the cues wrong. Like, I just felt like, Every I kept expecting an apex when it like wasn't actually going to give you one, mm. and then like the big emotionally resonant moments felt so out of the blue that like and not even like oh my god I didn't expect that to happen it just was like wait was that a big moment because I missed it like I'm <laughs> right. like you're at a very high stakes place and I'm not there with you. I think yeah we did talk after we both watched it and I I think I said something to the effect of like it, it like. The moments themselves, like on the uh, on the order of the moment, I think it does a good job. But like the structure, yeah, feels like it could be, yeah, how like, it all gets like, take me put from together. here to there, you know, yeah. And how did we get there from here? You know what I mean? That's the question. Wow. And what comes next? Hey, love her. <laughs> but the bottom line is, people should see it, uh, and people should certainly see it. Watch it and enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, then I have a problem with you. Work. Um, <laughs> I also have been watching on Netflix the second season of Special, which is... Okay, me too. Uh, okay, work. Um, I love that we're the same. <laughs> um, did you watch the first season? Yeah. Ryan O'Connell, right? Mm-hmm. So he's queer, he has cerebral palsy. There was a first season of the show that he wrote and stars in, and now there's a second season. Uh, and I'm like, I think I just finished the halfway point. Nice, oh, good, than would recommend if you're looking for a little something to watch this Pride Month. Um, <laughs> have you watched Bo Burnham's special? No. Okay, everyone's been like... I know, everyone, like saying, truly everyone cannot stop talking about it. Um did I think it's see? good. I did watch it. <laughs> see? You see? <laughs> oh, say, can you see? You're giving uh, chameleon, <laughs> chameleon key change. <laughs> um, I thought that it was good. I have. Were you? Have you ever been a Bo Burnham fan? Not like a. I can't say that I was a fan. I can say that I okay. watched. I can say that I enjoyed. 
I just okay. can't say that I followed. I wouldn't say that I followed either. I mean, I watched the, you know, I watched the specials back in the day. Um, and then I haven't really, like, I haven't seen Eighth Grade. I haven't seen him in Promising Young Woman. Like, I haven't seen, like, the more recent film stuff that he's been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I don't want to. I just haven't. I, but I will say about the comedy that, like, there's a lot of the comedy that, in retrospect, is like, mm, I don't know about all this. <laughs> and so I, like, you know, it was plenty funny at the time, but just, like, I don't know if it is received in the same way now that we as a culture are thinking about things in a more, in a different way. Right. Did he really find the, like the irreverence is kind of less the thing or like less in the specific way that he was doing it. So I was a little worried about like, oh no, like a new Bo Burnham special. Like, I don't know if the stuff that he was doing before would play in the same way. Um, But I think he does find a very good new slice there's there are points where it gets a little too heady for me but that's fine <laughs> i think that's because i have no attention span <laughs> <laughs> work that's i mean has he done something for a while i haven't i haven't like heard of about him in a month mu- in a minute no i forget what the last special was called but it was a while ago it was in like 2016 maybe wow i kind of really appreciate that yeah, and he talks about that a little bit in the special, um, like needing to take, needing to like, deciding to take the break from it. Yeah. Um, it also is all, I mean, it, his specials are typically all sung, but this one is really like song, 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 song. Like it's a lot of songs. And the songs are good. <laughs> like the songs are really good. Work. Um, so I would recommend. It is like 90 minutes, which is like... I mean, I love long things. You don't like long things. No. I just think <laughs> that the format, I don't know. It was For me, it was a little too long. But again, I think that might just be an attention span thing. Like, because then when it gets to the point where it's like starting to get like really emotionally resonant and like tying together the themes, I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I got there with you. Uh, right. But right. I, again, I think that just is me <laughs> but i mean you're the one watching it so that's what matters tea that's tea <laughs> <laughs> wow wow um work i want to continue our conversation from last week i feel like we we were just we were going and then uh and then time had to stop us we were i last week i absolutely cut you off because you were like, okay, well, now can we talk about this? And I was like, Kenyon, we've been recording <laughs> for so long already. But I mean, we, time. We have it. We have it. Well, Nothing do we? but it. Do we actually? Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it still is Pride Month. Uh, Correct. And so we are still celebrating and still talking about it. Correct. Um, and last week we were talking about kind of the visibility, you know, mm-hmm. and is that is that enough? Like, what is is can we go past that, or is what kinds of visibility are are needed? You know, yeah. It, I love. Even, I don't think that we even called it visibility last week. You're right. You're right. 
but it, I, you're right in that that kind of gets down to what I was trying to say about like, you know, even though it is not the end goal, like there is something to be gained from uh, like having corporations or having uh, celebrities or having the, you know, these people and outlets and platforms that have access to folks have access and influence to folks where like other queer individuals might not, um, that that is, that is visibility. Like there, there is something to be gained in that. Yeah. And even, I mean, even pride as a protest, even through its history, it is, I feel like it's a statement about like, look, look at us. We are here. We are marching through the streets. You can't ignore the fact that of our presence, you know? And that, that, yeah, that's revolutionary. And that still is. That very much was. Um, but I think it's also not enough. Just like representation isn't, you know, it's like representation, we need it. We want it. But like that doesn't, yeah. that doesn't do everything. Um, and I guess some of my frustration that I was kind of trying to get to with last week with Pride is just like, okay, now... Saying that we're here is literally still radical. Right. But also, is it is not enough. And that's something that you said last week. It was like, okay, these are all great things, but also what's next? Kind of, Like, what? where do we go? Yeah, and it honestly even feels a little two steps forward, one step back, because the whole kink at pride thing feels like yeah. part of that visibility conversation, right? Like, yeah. And we'd went over all this, but the idea of like the <laughs> the only reason why we had a pride parade in the first place is because, or, you know, what turned into a parade, but was a protest, uh, was to say, Hey, we, you know, we're here, we're queer, get used to it. Like this is, there are people who engage in these kinds of activities and there is nothing wrong with that. And that doesn't have anything to do with anybody else. And if you have a problem with it, that is a you problem and not an us problem because we're allowed to express ourselves the way that we want to express ourselves. And the, you know, it is the same problem that it it is rebelling against the same thing of like, Oh, well this isn't safe to have in public or to have in front of our children or whatever. Like that's literally the same exact issue at, at its heart. So even though we have, you know, representation in a lot of media and even though there are some legal protections now that there weren't 60 years ago i we still are like stuck on the visibility thing like that still is like a such a huge issue it's so interesting the ways that like the ways that some things have been adopted into like acceptable performance, but mm. it has not like, we're still working with that cage of like acceptable performance. Right. Like, right. Like, uh, trans women who pass as cis with the, you know, all of the plethora of like beauty standards and racist standards and transphobia that is inherent in that. um, that that's that now has gotten to a point of like, okay, yes, this is 
this is now more normal and more accepted or or more within that realm of acceptable performance. But trans people who do not uh, who do not pass as cis or non-binary folks who do not pass as as cis are not allowed inside of that. Um, yeah, and I, I so the ways that we like have been the ways that the queer community has gotten little bits of acceptance is still within like this larger paradigm that still needs to be totally broken up. I really agree with that. And part of me sees that as like kind of a result of what happens if you stop at at, at visibility or at representation. It's like, if I can just make it so that you see me, then this is, then we've done it. But that means that you're you've got to cater to the ways that you can be seen, you know, and that yeah. ends up in, like reinscribing, you know, even if it's a slightly you know new definition of you know what is acceptable performance, like you're saying, it still re- relies on on that idea. Yeah, um, yeah, it makes me think like, is there, you know, the binary of us versus them, of in versus out, of for something to be accepted, does that require that something else is unacceptable? Um, I don't know. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I also am thinking about like visibility representation, like politically right. representation is like the first step. Like you want to be represented so that in the decisions, in the policy, in the law, in the whatever, that your views are represented there. It is not enough just to be seen but it's like that's the that's the barrier to entry yeah i'm glad you brought up the politics part because it like the politically representatives are supposed to give voice to the experience and issues of people that they represent right and with that that voice like that experience is a kind of knowledge you know, it's like, I know what's happening in my state. I know what matters to these people, if you're talking about a, you know, a state representative. Yeah. Um, and th- I wonder, I don't know, I'm trying to draw a, a kind of analogy of like, what what knowledge do, do queer communities have to give everybody else, basically? Mm. Which is kind of back to the Kinkit Pride thing about like, yeah, consent is like, like we know, like we as a society are better because we listen to some people. Yeah. Um, and what, like, what else do queer people have to teach us? I definitely think the uh, the acceptance thing is a big part of it. Um, we were, I forget when we were talking about this on the podcast, but at some point, like the idea of people policing others based on the way that they police themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so saying, oh, you shouldn't wear that or your body is too X, Y, and Z or the way that you speak is too X, Y, and Z is like just reflecting like how the, the ways that people police themselves. Right. Um, and that feels like a huge thing to learn from all types of people who are not like at the center of beauty standards or performance standards or whatever that like, as soon as you let go of those things for yourself, like then you can let go of them for other people. Um, but that that's where it like comes back to, or, or even just noticing that like, 
if you find yourself being critical of other people in that way, then you're also being that way to yourself. Mm-hmm. Like when you're are when you're being critical of others in what how they allow themselves to appear in public or whatever, like as harsh as you are on them, like that is <laughs> that is the same way that you treat yourself in in some way at some level of consciousness. I really agree with that. Um, and I get, I feel like for some people that sounds kind of like, uh, like woo woo. I don't know. In some sort sure. of like, no, I'm different than like, I'm over here and everybody else is over there. And yeah. I think, I don't know. I just don't think we talk enough about how like we're all swimming in this thing. Like we all oh, yeah. make up this thing that we are going through and we get to choose how, how that manifest like we get to choose what kinds of government we have we get to choose what kind of constructs we make um that, that then matter to us how would you answer that question um yeah i i guess just what kinds of relationships care sure just just it, this is coming coming from my own experience i guess just like what kinds of care are valid i think is something that queer people think about a lot um yeah. and then and have modeled different ways of organizing our ourselves together in in a way that we can care for people and not just like a you know this is my nuclear family way yeah um and you know the the idea of a chosen family kind of gets has gotten the some airplay kind of in that space. Right. Um and that's a real thing. It's like you you can you can actually choose people to bring into your life in a way that you know you decide to to afford them a, a high degree of care. Um but I also think that thinking outside of marriage as like the the pinnacle of you know, once I marry this person, then I can, it is socially acceptable for me to care for them in these kinds of ways. For us to yeah. share, you know, uh, monetary economic benefits or healthcare governmental benefits, etc. Like, queer people fall outside of that, are disenfranchised from that, and are creating alternative ways of, you know, caring for each other. And I think that's, well, I think we need that. I think yeah. everybody needs that. Yeah, I mean, especially when you start to think about uh, post-World War II, that Ooh. the government had a vested interest in, like, <laughs> yeah, we want every family to look the same for any number of reasons, to to keep different races separated. That's why, you know, yes, we want everyone to to get married and we're going to like incentivize marriage, but it is illegal to marry someone who is not of your race. Like that's the type of stuff that's like, Oh, well maybe this isn't like the thing that we need to hang everything on. Right. Which at the same time, like I was, saw something on Twitter the other day that was like, like monogamy clearly doesn't work. And I was like, I don't know about all that. Like, I just don't think it it's everything. I just don't think it has to be everything for everybody. Um, yeah. If you want to get married, work. Like, if you want to be monogamous with someone, like, 
work, do it. That's great. But to set that up as the only option, it honestly is reminding me of like, like, uh, ineffective sex ed, like mm. abstinence, <laughs> abstinence only sex ed yeah. is like, if you're giving people only one option and saying that everything else is off limits and that they can't talk about it or think about it or explore it at all, then you're setting them up to fail. There is no one size fit all of anything. And the best way to like have people help people to have good experiences to like encourage them to explore and like educate them about, about the different types of experiences. Honestly, this is getting back to special because mm. in special, there's a polyamorous relationship that is depicted. And I think that it's perhaps the first, like, actual genuine attempt to depict a polyamorous relationship. Um, as in, it's never, like, it's not just the butt of a joke. It's like, these are real people who are trying to navigate, okay, how does this work? Like, how do these three people function together emotionally, sexually, whatever? Um, and that's just something that I have like no tools for. Like I have no right. reference for that. And I mean, and that's why representation and visibility is important. Like yeah. seeing queer people is important so that you can understand the experience and what it can teach you. Like, right. Just kind of like what you're saying with special. It's like not just that ah, yes, here are some queer people on a screen. But like, here are some queer people on a screen, and actually that is changing my understanding about how things can be. Yeah. I'm Even if I'm not options. a queer person. Right. Um, and I, I, I do want to caution of like, you know, it's no one's responsibility to teach anybody anything. Right. But I think a lot of people have a lot of stuff to learn from each other. <laughs> yeah. And I love the idea of like, I mean, you know, I love this. The idea of looking at difference as an opportunity to learn is like, uh, oh God, what if we could all think <laughs> that way? <laughs> like what if instead of like difference being a threat, it was like, ooh, like here's another option. Like there's another thing that we can do. And then, I mean, it, st it really does start at home. Yeah. As like what you do to other people, you are doing to yourself. And our conversation from last time about accepting the the changes that we go through personally, individually. Yeah. And like not running away from those or not seeing those as threats to, you know, who we are or who we have been, but as opportunities to grow and to keep living, to keep enjoying life. Enjoying life. Ever yeah. tried it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well. <laughs> okay, I'm curious where I'm thinking about queerness, about learning, about teaching, about history. Where did you, who would you say are like your, your queer teachers? Like who were, where did you Ooh. learn about queerness? Um, that's a good question. I was talking to some students recently about Glee work <laughs> and they were like hating on Kurt. They were like, we don't like Kurt. Like, we don't like him as a character. Like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, listen here, you little privileged, <laughs> little spoiled 
older children. When I was in the seventh grade, Kurt was all we had. We didn't have wow. anyone else. <laughs> wow. When I was in the seventh grade, Kurt was all we had. <laughs> um, I definitely think that Glee was a big beginning part of it. I always talk about like when I came out 10 years ago, uh, it was Glee and Lady Gaga. Like that was what I had. Like that's what was available. <laughs> um, so definitely Glee. Definitely, I mean, literally born this way. We've been talking about born this way. Like literally born this way was a big part of that. Yeah. Um, then thinking about like learning to be queer beyond that. I don't know. Um, I mean, you're also you're you're you can say yourself. I mean. <laughs> Certainly myself. <laughs> I I feel like there were phases of it. Like, I feel like part of it was, like, it was Glee and Lady Gaga. Then it was, like, kind of learning what the cultural touchstones were. Mm-hmm. So I think of, like, America's Next Top Model. I think of, you know, watching, like, becoming obsessed with Barbra Streisand. Yeah, like a big part of that. Um, yeah, like, getting really big into musical theater felt like a bit, it was like, okay, these are the things that I should like be watching in order to participate. Um, then it started being more like actual queer people as touchstones. So certainly one of those was super fruit. Certainly Scott Hoying and Mitch I'm Rossi so glad like, you said that. <laughs> yeah. Like watching them put out videos every, like I would pick up phrases from that. Like I would, that like taught me how to speak in certain ways. Like that felt like a window into like 20 something adult queer culture. Like what were the yeah. things that they were paying attention to? Like what were the things that they were doing? Um, who were the artists that they liked? You know, everything about that was like, okay, this is, this is what I should be paying attention to. Um, and emulating. And I think I spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time like just trying to sound like them, trying to talk like <laughs> them, trying to emulate them. Um, then I think getting to college and just meeting more queer people. Um, and so like getting into an echo chamber of like, <laughs> obviously you were a part of this. Um, like me, you, David, and Nathan, like, just bouncing off of each other, like, saying whatever ridiculous <laughs> things that we would say to each other. Um, I mean, we'd get into, like, these whole, like, performance, like, full performance, <laughs> like, we are in our own, like, stage Fully. play with music at all times that other people kind of just come in and out the of. The show is never over. The show is never over. Um and then, uh, obviously, Drag Race, uh, and now, I don't know, now definitely learning, still learning a lot for myself. Also, like, Instagram and Twitter and social media and, like, tapping into uh, queer people on social media as well. Yeah. There's so That's much... My, there's so much there, in yeah, there. Yeah, there's so much there. Wait, no, you. Now you. Now you. Wait, but I want to spend time with your... Okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, very similar. Like, extremely similar. Um, Glee. I will have to start with Glee as well. We I have to start that, like, with Glee? That's just where it begins. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And you know, I wasn't as I have to say, I wasn't as much of a Glee stan as as you are. The I technical term is Gleek, right? Okay. Yes, and I Gleek. kind of purposely kind of eschewed that uh, term, actually. So, see, if you were a real Gleek, you would have just said it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was it. Was just like, oh, this is possible. Like there, here we are. Great, yeah, amazing. And you better sing. <laughs> um, and musical theater too Both from like uh, Let me get into The shows Let me find the culture Let me go watch the videos on YouTube But also Just doing Theater and performance more broadly Growing up It was like Oh here's a space Where you can Where it is It is not just acceptable But it is preferred That you walk in And transform yourself That you can act yeah. in ways that are like outlandish or are different yeah. than you act, you know, outside of this room or off of the stage. Um, you come to play a character or to access, you know, some emotion that you sometimes feel, but, you know, you don't always feel. And just that experience was like, that is, I don't know. That's why I think that performance culture and cultures and media is so important for well, for so many people, but for queer people in particular, <laughs> like it is this space where, yes, it is actually okay to come in and, and be different. Actually, that's what we want. That's actually what we want to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in college, I mean, you kind of, well, you just described my college experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I can't actually skip over Superfruit either. And, and just like the internet is, this is why the internet is important to people. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm thinking about like, you know, it it is no secret that I was like big into YouTubers when I was in high school and college and still am to some extent and that seeing queer people on just like, you know, that that was an opportunity for people to just present themselves purely as themselves. Yeah. And that YouTube felt like, I don't know, the degree to which this is actually true, I don't know. I feel like now I am more tapped into like people who are performing a certain, who are performing themselves on Instagram and Twitter. But it felt like other types of social media at that time for me were really just about like people you knew personally and famous people. Yeah. Um, and that there was this, YouTube had this gap of, like, someone who was not, like, a red carpet A-list celebrity, but, like, had a following and could, like, present their personality um, to other. And so, like, getting to tap into, like, real-life people. Yeah. Um, real-life queer people was so was so important. And then I remember like getting to college and being like, and meeting people and being like, Oh my God, these people are real. Like there are people who actually <laughs> are like this. Yeah. Like yeah. in high school, I was the gayest person that I knew. Like that was the T and then getting to college and being like, Oh my God, like there are people who actually exist like this. Like they're not just on YouTube and they're not just on Glee. Like they're real people. <laughs> yeah. And finding queer people of color for me was really important of just yeah. like knowing knowing that people at these intersections existed and that they're cool. <laughs> yeah. And you're absolutely a part of that. Um it, it's 
I think that intersectionality is another thing that that the queer community has that people could learn a lot from, and also something that we are still trying to work out ourselves. But right. like the idea of queerness as it encompasses, you know, all those letters, LGBTQIA+. It's like, this is something that is inherently multifaceted, that is connected to all different kinds of life experience. Um, but it wasn't until college that I got to, like, find that find that out in my own experience, you know? Yeah. Um, but partway through college, I did find myself feeling limited a little bit by the representations by like the media representations and the YouTuber I'm culture. Limited. Sick. <laughs> Just look at me. <laughs> um, yeah, it was like, oh, okay. Taking Superfruit, for example, it was like, here's absolutely, here's a window into like queer people in their mid twenties. And like, this is what you can do if you want. But I felt kind of disconnected from anything else wider like what is my own what is my own queer history like i had a bunch of black history references because you know i i got taught that growing up in my family but what like what have queer people been and who are we through time it felt like i knew like here we are it's the 2010s and now you exist and it's like wait actually we've been here and where can i find out about that um I don't know. Were there moments? Oh, sorry. You're going to say something. Just that that's especially hard because queerness is historically so much more amorphous than, than like the American conception of race, um, which I think is not good and bad, but like functions in a lot of different ways. Like the American conception of race is so solid because, you know, they, like that's not a good thing. Like that's right. because like America was founded on caste system of slavery based on race, um, as opposed to you know queerness just has looked so different. Um, what it's been defined as has been different. Like because our understanding of like what gender and sexuality are sex and gender and sexuality, because Mm -hmm. those have been so dynamic throughout time. Like it is harder to, to try trace like a direct lineage, but I, you know, it is only at the beginning of like the 20th century that, that sex and sexuality are different things. Right. Um, And then it is only into the middle of the 20th century that sex and gender are different things. So like the same ways that we think about queerness now, or, or that's why like people often will try to take words and take terminology that feels very appropriate now and backtrack it even 50, 40, 30 years ago. Um, and there are people who like are alive now who are like, oh, I like, I don't really engage with that language because that isn't how you know right. I grew up thinking about it. Um, T. S. Madison, who I think now she self-identifies as a trans woman, for a long time was like, I don't know what that means, and like, I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't know how to engage with that, just because it is a fairly new 
set of terminology, at least particularly in comparison to like uh, terminology around race. Like it, right, it is right. new terminology. Um, and not everyone engages with it in the same way. I don't know. Just that like that is, and as well as like a lot of that terminology coming out of like, like queer theory, academia space, which yeah. is, and is not connected to like queer cultures outside of that privileged space. That really makes me think about Paris is burning. Yeah. Um, Jet like that specific like okay what do basically academics say that queerness is and what's queer theory and etc and like how is queerness lived by different people in different places and yeah. I mean Paris is burning is also an, a, a touchstone for me learning wise yeah. um, but it's also an example of like the director Janine Livingston like did that for her thesis like that was. This is an academic project that, you know, was kind of anthropological in nature, documenting this living experience, this lived experience, and then gets pulled into the academic realm and now can be used and dissected and more language can be made around it, whether or not it's connected to the lives of the people who are in it and the places and the cultures that they're living. Right. So, yeah, I think that, like, who we, like... Whose language do we listen to in this whole thing is, I don't have any answers, but I think it's a really interesting (laughs) question. Yeah, I feel like that is part of why I love queer theory so much, um, is that it is this, like, combination of, like, of the theoretical, the analytical, like, the the hyper-academic, but also learning or drawing on things from outside academia. And that's obviously, it can be problematic to to take something from people from a culture that like does not have access to that ivory tower. Yeah. Um, but I think that to take that and to place it on the level of like, okay, we can use this as a framework to analyze everything that's going on. Like, we actually can make sense of all these different types of expression in ways that, you know, a traditional analysis, a traditional academic theoretical analysis could not. I think that that's amazing Um, because there is, there is nothing that is any less high level or, you know, analytical about, understandings that queer people have of themselves, right? And of their own right. cultures. Um, and to, like, just to give some like specific examples, this can, it feels like this could be very <laughs> like, what on earth are they talking about? Right. But like thinking about like, okay, we were talking about passing earlier, thinking about like passing, thinking about realness as something that is talked about in ball culture in Paris is burning. Um, that that is, you know, just terminology that people had to, in their colloquial, here's how we're talking about this thing, but that that encompasses so much about, like, different strata of, okay, here's how some people have access to some privileges and other people don't have that access, and it's all wrapped up in this, like, okay, can you serve realness? And then also 
wrapped up in serving it is like that it's all constructed. So like all of the like theoretical constructs uh, around how we get to the bottom of gender and like how gender performance, et cetera, like how all these things interact um, in like a social justice theory kind of way uh, is, is all already wrapped up in the way that people use the language to, to talk about themselves already. Yeah. I, that's, first of all, you're brilliant. Because um, <laughs> you went into explaining that. And I was like, wow, yeah, how's Jerome going to like just give us an example? And then, well, you did. So, work. Um, but I mean, that takes me to like, th- like now everyone's, <laughs> now everyone uses the language that right. comes out of these cultures. And, right. you know, the appropriation, everyone's tossing this word around. But I feel like, most people kind of actually don't even know what it really means. Like, why is this appropriation? Why is this bad? And the link that you just connected between, like, this language comes out of a life that is experienced. Like, this is knowledge. This is experience. You can't just repurpose that. You can't just repurpose someone's experience to fit your needs. Like, that, that, that is appropriative. Yeah. As well as, like, when the same language, when the same uh, identifiers, when the same behavior, when the same uh, uh, aesthetic qualities grant some people privilege and deny other people privilege. Like that's what's, that's what's wrong with about appropriation to me is Mm -hmm. like, it's very cool for, you know, to get back to the academic thing, like, oh yeah, it's very cool to be talking about realness and passing and like gender performance when you're at Yale and writing your thesis. But the people who came up with all that terminology that you're now analyzing don't have the access to be in that same place and have, you know, access to those same resources and privileges that you have access to. Like that's what's, that is the hard thing about appropriation is that like it literally is using other people's cultural work and benefiting from it when you have not done the work. Yeah. I mean, this makes me think of the, the article I sent you. Um, yeah. With Junior LaBeja. Yeah. Um, who is in the film Paris is Burning, um, plays, not plays, is an MC yeah. in the balls depicted in that documentary. Um and like this is a person who has who has really given the culture a lot, like yeah, in terms I mean, of specifically language, right? Paris is burning in specific, and in this article, we'll link to the article. Um, Junior Labesha says like, okay, I I did come up with a lot of this language, but like everyone was doing it. You know, he's like, there were lots of people who were emceeing, and I was really good at it, and. But, you know, this was just how we all talked. Like, this is this was the task. They asked me to, you know, describe what I saw, and I described what I saw. Um, and the fact that it then is used in Paris is Burning, which becomes this cultural touchstone, which inspires Madonna, which inspires everybody, like, which is where so much of our language comes out of now. Um, like, that comes directly from, like, you know, that wasn't like a, a team of writers got together and, like, really crafted a thing. Like, yeah. 
he'd said it. Like, he was the writer. Like, he said all of those things. And they became these iconic, like, what we think of culturally as, like, the MC of the ball, tens across the board, me talking about serving realness. Like, that is from Junior LaBeja, and it is from people like Junior LaBeja who were doing that in the 80s. Yeah. In in that article, he talks about not, basically not wanting other people to tell his story. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, that's kind of not a hard thing to hear, but it's like in, a, in an era of RuPaul's Drag Race and Pose, and it's like, oh, all these things are are important representations for people. Um, And to know a person who is so central to this actual culture, this actual lived experience being like, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to consult on your TV show. If, if it's not queer people, if not queer people telling our stories, then I don't actually think I, and queer people of color specifically. Right. Um, I think that's like, that's where it moves beyond visibility for me to it's like not just that I can be seen so you can use me or analyze me, academize me so you can whatever, take the language. It's to be seen so that I can have a voice and like make some material changes. Right. And in reading this article, um, you know, certainly the idea of like ball culture, ball culture is more visible now. Um, the, the language that he was using was more visible. And that does mean a lot for like, I think particularly for young queer people, for young queer people of color to see and to like feel affirmed in themselves and like to be able to aspire to and grow into. But what has that done for junior LaBeja? Yeah. According to this article, very little. According to him in this article, very little. Yeah, there are just so many layers of like, in part of going through, okay, Superfruit and then uh, RuPaul's Drag Race and like tracing all these things. Like, I also had already picked up so much of this language and then watching, you know, watching Superfruit and being like, oh, okay, like I get that I that this is, I already recognize things that I say and things that they're saying. Yeah. And then like watching Drag Race and being like, oh, I already say some of the things that are on the show, even though I've never watched the show. And then seeing Paris is Burning and seeing like these even older depictions of ball culture in the 20th century, of poor black and Latinx queer people in the 20th century. It's like, oh, wait, I already say that thing that I, that is being said in this film and this documentary and whatever that I've never seen before. And like noticing myself, like, oh, I already am like this stuff has already like trickled down, but also like has moved, has gotten so distanced from its source already. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, surely there are even more, there are more people who are less aware of that than I am who like say the things and use the language and have no idea where it comes from. Yeah. Which is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, re- it really is. And 
Because it's not even just the words themselves. It's like the, it's the how of it for me, at least. Like watching these things, being exposed to this culture was not just like, I didn't feel like I needed to like learn these words so that I could be, you know, gay and acceptably gay to the people who make the rules about what it means to be gay. And (laughs) this is what it means. It means you say these things, you act this way. No, it was like, oh, seeing other people moving towards being more themselves, whatever that looked like, the vehicles they used were community, were language, music, like the how, the how of doing it was like so much more important to me. And I don't even know if I could, could have articulated this then, but like was, it was much more important than the, than the, what it is. And I feel like people often just kind of take scoop off the top. Like here's this word, here's this phrase. I think it's cool. It makes me sound X, Y, Z it's in or it's out. Um, but like, aren't, it's not like, no, you play with a language for yourself. Like, you need to make some words up for for what, what you see, for your experience, for how you feel. Yeah, I remember watching these videos and feeling like, I want to be like this person. I want to be like Scott and Mitch. I want to be like the queens on RuPaul's Drag. Like, I, I want to be a person who functions in the way that they do. Yeah. And realizing that that was less about saying the exact things that they were saying, which was an important part of it. Like the language is an important part of it, but it was also about like just feeling exactly what you said, like feeling comfortable, like making up words and say, and like having, I I loved the freedom with which they spoke and expressed themselves. And that's what I wanted to have more than anything. It's like, Oh, they just like come up with stuff and say it and like are quippy and quick and like, have a comeback to everything. Like I just loved that. And I wanted to be a person who was like that. I wanted to be a person who could speak as freely as they could. Um, and for so many, for so much of these like specific phrases, it feels more about like, Oh, well, this is what people are saying on Twitter. And so like, I'm also going to say it <laughs> like, this is the, you know, this is the phrase that has like come up on TikTok, And so like, I'm also going to say this phrase. Yeah. Wow. Thanks to the queer elders out there. Absolutely. Because they've done so much. They really have done so much work. Kenyon, speaking of queer elders. Ooh, yes. Um, uh, oh, there's so many directions to go in for this <laughs> binary. Um, okay. But I've also re- we like never say what this segment is. This segment is called Respect the Binary. And it's when <laughs> we uh pick a binary of things that we've talked about, and you have to pick one. And that's called respecting the binary. Um <laughs> and so Kenyon, the binary for you is uh well, th- this is the larger context of of what my students said. They were like, Oh, like we didn't like Kurt, we liked Blaine. And I was like, no, you need to show your respect to Kurt. So the binary (laughs) is between Kurt and Blaine, iconic Glee characters. Wow. And now it's the characters and not the actors. It is not Chris Colfer versus Darren Chris. It is Kurt versus Blaine. 100% Kurt. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt in my mind. (laughs) Blaine is so silly. He is such a fool. And Darren Chris, I mean, that's why I had to really separate out because... That's a whole other 
field. But truly, <laughs> Kurt's giving you Kurt's giving you strength. Kurt's giving you determination, yeah. character. Blaine is a fool at many times. Yeah. Kurt is so funny. Very talented. Yes. I live. Wow. Um, okay, well then I guess here we are doing another binary and mine is going to be Scott or Mitch. See, I was thinking about Scott or Mitch and I couldn't bring myself to do it. Um, I don't know what to say. All throughout, I definitely was like, Mitch is cool. But I think that that's just like, Mitch is, that's because Mitch is cool. Like, that doesn't mean that Scott is, like, (laughs) Mitch just was the, like, the type of person that, like, you really, that just, like, is impressive and kind of intimidating. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, Yes. I will say that Scott is the one who continues to provide for the girls. Like, Scott is the one who is still around. True. And Mitch is a little more elusive. Um, but also, Mitch is infinitely the better singer. <laughs> I guess I have to go with Mitch. But, like, I have so much love for Scott. I'm saying Scott. I'm going with Scott. Oh, my gosh. The last-minute full U-turn there. I know. Um, well, I am going with Mitch. I... Every episode, I was like, what are the the music recommendations? You know? Yeah, it would always... (laughs) Mitch would be like, "Uh, my song of the week is uh, some random remix of a song you've never heard of uh, who collaborated with Sophie on a Rihanna track. And Scott would be like, my song of the week is Dark Horse by Katy Perry. (laughs) (laughs) And love to Scott, but... I loved all of Mitch's wrecks. Oh, for sure. So, thank you, Mitch. <laughs> thank you, Mitch. Yay. Uh, well, Kenyon, Pride Month continues on. Uh, and we, let's say this, we are louder and prouder. How about that? <laughs> Sing. Thanks for listening, divas. We Love That is brought to you by Kenyon and Jerome. Our music is by Sophia Campomore, and our art is by Griffin Keller. And please drop us a line at welovethatpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we need to do an intro. Yes. And this is an even number. This is our 54th episode. Um, which means that who starts, you know, you do. Yes. I'm getting better at this, you know, 54 episodes. It's a very simple, (laughs) very simple formula. (laughs) Just like every time I'm like, okay, great. I've got it this time. But then I, I don't think about it ever again until the next time we, anyway.